we're a company that's currently private equity owned. We were private equity, well, actually we started off as VC back in the day, 2002. For many, many years, Ping Identity was just a single sign-on company. And then of course, it's really grown into a much broader remit than just single sign-on. But of course, the world's changed a lot and we don't just deal with employees, we deal with consumers as well. But it was VC back for a long time and then it went private equity from a company called Vista Equity Partners. In this episode, I'm talking to Kevin Sellers, CMO of Ping Identity, a major provider of identity access management software. They're making over $300 million a year with single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, cybersecurity, and other types of identity solutions. We'll talk about one, the different marketing strategies that allow them to attract more than half of the Fortune 100 companies. Number two, how much they spend on marketing versus ABM. And number three, how they're saving upwards of 75% on events using the one strategy. We'll also try to figure out exactly what their annual marketing budget is. And if we're lucky, exactly how much Kevin makes per year as the CMO. And if you can't answer a question, both have to take a shot of hot sauce. Wish me luck, Martians. Hope you enjoy this one. Hello, hello, Martians. Welcome back to another episode of Marketing on Mars. Today, we got the number one Phoenix Suns fan in the house, Kevin Sellers. Kevin, Kevin, currently, he's a CMO of a company called Ping Identity. And uh, Ping Identity basically helps secure your digital identity on, online, um, obviously, as a digital uh, identity. And uh, they're doing, they're a large, large company. They have over a thousand employees, I believe. Um, yep. And we're going to dive into everything that they do, the money they raise, how much money they make, what they do for marketing. But first, Let's say hi to our guest, Kevin. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Simon. Good to be here. Glad to be on Mars. <laughs> yeah, we're on Mars. We're on Mars. Um, first, very, very relevant. Their NBA playoffs. You're a regular season ticket holder. You're a huge Phoenix Suns fan. What do you think about yeah. about the team? Uh, let's not make any predictions because I don't know when this is going to come out, but. You, you sure. love the franchise and you've been a season ticket holder for a while. Big basketball yeah, fan. Uh, six, seven years now. My wife and I go to all the games and uh, yeah, we Jeez. love it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, tonight's game six against the Nuggets. So yeah, this will get, I'm sure, aired after it's over. So but we're hopeful. We're hopeful we'll keep going and that uh, we can get all the way to the end. So yeah, I, I'm, imagine when this airs and then you and I will have a message and we talk about how they overcame adversity and you guys won the playoffs. Hope that would be, that would that, be that would like, be, that'd be the killer. <laughs> that would be killer. Um, what? so before we dive into everything, just a quick introduction, uh, on, on Kevin, he's been in marketing for a long, long time. He, he's worked for big companies like Intel, where he was a, he was doing, a, he was a VP of inter, uh, investor relations and also, creative services and digital, digital marketing. He's worked for, you know, he's worked for a company called, uh, Avnet, um, based in uh, Arizona and, uh, and now ping identity. So at ping identity, you, you've joined the company about four years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about what the company does and, and like just, just your overall role there. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very um, it's an interesting company. It's an interesting space. So it's a SaaS company that you know we do um, digital security, digital identity, where uh, you know identity authentication, identity verification, uh, and also things like called access management, where we can help provision employees and give them access to the right applications, um, you know, on a company network. So we have we basically help protect employee identity within their workforce and, and, you know, workforce network, as well as consumer identities as they engage digitally with brands and, you know, shop and, you know, transact with different brands online. And so we're part of that very mission critical layer of security that both secures and protects the identity and the data around that identity, as well as enabling a, a low friction experience, which, which most <laughs> consumers really want. So. That's that's what we're doing. We're basically an enabler of that digital economy wow. through identity-centered security and user experience. Yeah, no, that that's so cool. Um, so we'll we'll dive into it a little bit more. Figure out how exactly you guys make money sure. through the different services and stuff. Uh, but first, we always start off the show with a little shot of hot sauce. That's a thing. Yeah, gotta, gotta get the blood flow. Gotta yeah. get the blood flowing. And I've told you the theme of the show is I'm going to ask you just, just questions. I want to know how you guys grew, how the company grew. So I'll be asking you questions that uh, as a CMO from CMO to CMO, I want to, I want to just know all the secret sauce, right? And every single time you cannot answer a question, the lights will, the lights will go off in the background here. And that means it's hot sauce time and we'll do another shot of hot sauce, but let's get things started. What do you, what do you have for us all today? Right. What's your well, weapon? I got, I, got two, I got two choices. So I, in, in, in honor of the fact that, you know, I, I actually got to live in uh, Korea for a couple of years and I lived in uh, Japan oh, for no. about eight years. So uh, wow. I spent about 10 years of my life in Asia. So I had some traditional hot sauce, which I can use, but I also have um, something called Asian Zing, which is a really chili, pa chili, paper, uh, chili pepper based sauce with yeah. some soy and ginger. Kind of, kind of puts an Asian spin on the hot sauce. So, in honor of my time in Asia, I thought I would start there. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. All, All right, I'm a little nervous. So I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not like super big. You know, I live in Arizona. I'm not a super big hot sauce guy. So this could this could bring me to my knees. But, you know, it'll just get more information out of me that I probably shouldn't show. And I do have some water. Here. <laughs> All right, tell okay. me when we're ready. I've got, I got a pretty good little spoonful here. All right, I'm going to go light for now because this is Carolina okay. Reaper. I'm going to really go light on myself. That's yeah, uh, you're starting with the Reaper. I'm, I'm a little nervous. Yeah. So I'm nervous as well. I'm going to be very careful what questions I ask, but first cheers, Kevin. Thanks. Uh, welcome to the show. You got it. Wow. Wow, man, that's got some, ooh. Oh, dang. <laughs> Oh, that's got some chili in it. Woo! Okay. Okay. <sighs> now it's the time where I shut up and I just listen to you because I don't. All right. All right. I kind of open my mouth. My eyes, are, my eyes are watering, but it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> this is good. Good for viewership. If you can, yeah. if you can cry on the show, we'll definitely get 20,000, 30,000 views I'm, minimum. I'm yep. <laughs> mm. Um, all right. So let's, let's start with ping identity. Yeah. Give us a sense of where you guys are at right now before we dive into anything. Cause 
I've seen but, online that you guys have, you guys make north of $200 million per year in revenue and you guys have raised some money. Help, help put some of these rumors to bed. Like how much money do you guys make? Maybe as yeah, of last about, year or this year. Yeah. Yeah. We're right about 400 million in, in annual revenue right now. Um, and, um, you know, growing at a pretty healthy clip. We're in a good market, obviously the, with, you know, COVID has just kind of accelerated a lot of the, you know, what was, what was already what I call kind of a, a move to digital became a stampede to digital. Like every business in the world now, if you don't have a digital front end, you're kind of dead. So, um, everybody has to be able to provide their services and, and, and access via digital channel. So, um, that's, that's kind of created a, a really great environment for us, but we're, uh, we're a company that's currently private equity owned. We were private equity. Well, actually, we started off as BC backed back in the day. Wow. It was Hang Identity started back in 2002. Um, started off as a, a company that um, did single sign on. He just did single sign on was just a, the ability to allow an employee to sign on once to their company network without having to re-authenticate every time they open up a different application. So hmm. for many, many years, Ping Identity was just a single sign-on company. And then of course it's really grown into uh, a much broader remit than just single sign-on, but that's still SSO as they call it is still a big market. And a lot of companies are still looking to upgrade off of very old legacy technologies. Um, but of course the world's changed a lot and we, we don't just deal with employees. We deal with uh, consumers as well, but it was VC back for a long time. And then it went private equity from a company called Vista Equity Partners, a very large uh, private equity firm. Mm. And then, then Vista Equity Partners actually spun Ping off as a public company. It was the first company in their portfolio history that they took public. So back wow. in 2019, when I started, literally a month after I started, we, uh, we went public, uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. We were public for about three years or so. Um, and then Toma Bravo, another very large uh, private equity firm, uh, came in and took us private. So they, they bought Ping and we're now back to being a private equity back firm. Um, the purchase price back uh, in October of last year was 2.8 billion. So that was what they took us private as. Full, full cash? And, um, full, uh, it was, yeah, full cash. Uh, there's some, de wow. I mean, some debt in there, but uh, yeah. So, uh, and so now we're private operating under, under them. They, they've done a, a, a number of cybersecurity deals in the last kind of 10 years. They're very, very big in cyber and, um, and, and very big on identity. So they have a few companies that are in and around the identity space, of which we're one. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, lot happening in this space. And, uh, I think yeah. a lot of chess moves still to happen <laughs> under Tolo Bravo. I just don't know what they all are yet, but uh, I'm expecting in the next year, year and a half, there's going to be probably some, some combinations and some additional acquisitions that'll take place to continue to augment our platform. Keep us going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, so you guys are very large over, over two $2 billion valuation, $400 million in revenue. You guys are doing crazy, crazy things. How exactly do you guys make money? Like what, what kind of services are you guys offering? Cause as, yep. as you mentioned, digital identity started off a single sign on and then there's two FA and now there's like fingerprints, there's facial recognition. There's a lot of different ways to validate identity nowadays. Um, 
uh, what what which er- what areas do you guys play in and how exactly you guys make money yeah i think um you know the biggest part of our business is still in the core identity authentication space that includes things like single sign out includes things like now extra levels of security like multi-level or multi-factor authentication or 2fa as you said um we also have products and services around you know fraud detection and risk signals so for example one of the challenges yeah, with 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 2mfa is it can be a bit of a friction introducer right if some people don't like to always have to be re-authenticating yeah. or, or a second level so now for example we can put things in to the product that we can say hey here's simon chow we can we see that you're logging in from your the same ip on the same device over and over again so we kind of know that this is you so we don't necessarily going to prompt you every time but when we see changes in the environment we can actually prompt msa because of a change in the environment and a risk signal that comes in so we're constantly adding solutions like that that enable the ability of to security to stay high but also to reduce the user friction which can turn people off right so um, those are some examples of ways of, of products and services and how we're augmenting the identity service. There, there's a lot more to it than that, but how we make money is we're a very, uh, we're, we're very good at servicing large enterprise for the most part that serves both that has yeah. a large employee base, but also has a large customer base. Um, yeah. because of our history and our longevity in the space, we've got very robust products that can handle very large scale operations high throughput, high number of transactions per second types of environments. And so we, for example, we have um, 11 out of the top 13 banks in the United States, our customers, you can go down the list of large retail outlets and, you know, uh, customers that are, you know, uh, of the the fortune 100, roughly uh, a little over half of the fortune 100 are customers. Just to give you a sense of how we, we, we are very good at large enterprise and, and really how we make money against a software okay. and a SaaS business uh, that we tend to get multi-year contracts from our customers. And, um, and so, you know, the margins on software and SaaS are, are pretty good, uh, but we're obviously still investing a lot in product development and in go-to-market. Uh, but we do expect to be, um, you know, we will be profitable this year. Um, and we've been profitable in the past, but we'll be, we'll have our most profitable year ever in 2023. Um, and so, you know, we're, 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 we're doing, I think, the right things and keeping our costs uh, at at a level that can allow for that profitability, but also continue to fund our growth. Uh, and we've got great support and backing from you know Tolan Bravo, who's our, our private equity owner. Mm. So, and, and I think we're in a great in a great spot, great market with the right backing, and we're profitable and growing. So it's, it's pretty good business. So, so before we dive into everything on how you guys are growing, some of your marketing channels, marketing channels, which I'm sure a lot of our viewers would love to dive into, uh, you mentioned you're working with some of the lar- some of the biggest companies in the world. Can you name some of your largest, like your top three largest clients or customers? Yeah, um, in some cases we're we're allowed to. In some cases, not. You, can, you can go on our website, you can see a lot of customers. But, but a Bank of America is a large one, or JP Morgan Chase is a large one. Um, you know, companies like that, that are large multinational companies that have large revenue streams, large employee bases, large customer bases. Um, we're particularly good in financial services because of the complexity of that. And we right. uh, enable those customers to not only secure identities, but also secure data. 
Because for if you're a financial services firm, the regulatory and compliance burden upon that firm is pretty taxing. And so we're, yeah. we're particularly good at enabling um, the security and the protection of the user data. Uh, so that's those are some those are some those are some large you know big well known companies that uh, you know Netflix uh, you know there's we could go down oh, there's a lot of, of big customers that, that uh, use our products and services. Wow, uh, I'm not I'm not a you know expert in this area, but I I thought that some of these companies probably wouldn't have wanted to disclose you guys as their as their clients some because of, of no, the security. Right. Uh, yeah, can, you name, can you name? Can you name? Can you name any of the companies that wouldn't want to disclose and, and why? Yeah. You, you want me to have some lots of, so the answer is no. So, uh, uh, I had to pass on that question. So we got a red light. Man. All right. We got our first red light. I, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted you to taste some more of that Asian spice because I wanted you to well, take it back to your, should I try the Beals? Uh, yeah, let's, 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 uh, let's rotate a little bit. I unfortunately don't have anything to rotate, so I'm dumb. Well, you got on a Reaper, man. That's that's actually you know what this one. This one's not even. I'm gonna go back to that. It's like that one's not open, and I I've got a must up oh, thumb yeah. here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with what works here. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. This is gonna. I mean, this is not like. Yeah, it's it's got a nice kick to it. I'm gonna tell you right now. It took my breath away. So. All right. Well, uh, okay. Cheers. <laughs> To the question I can't answer. Okay, back to the question you can't answer. You can't answer the. Oh, <laughs> man! Woo! Man! Okay. Yeah. Oh, my mouth is on fire. Oh, give me one second. Longer. Yeah. We'll have All right. So you can't share the names of the companies, but. What will be some of the reasons why companies can't share your guys? Is, is it, is it for security issues or the reasons or well, for other purposes? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times a, a client, when it comes to cybersecurity, right. And they're not wildly anxious about revealing to the world what their security posture looks like and, and, and what tools and vendors that they're partnering with to provide that. And, 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 you know, I get, this is their, from a digital perspective, it's, it's their reputation, right? If you lose trust, and faith in a, an enterprise because they disclose your products or services or your data or anything, uh, you know, that's, that's a killer for the reputation. So they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty careful not to, especially the larger, more sophisticated, more risk. Um, yeah. There's a lot of oversight, right? They're, they're, they're very reticent to uh, reveal that who they use. Cool. Cool. <clears throat> yeah. I, I would have thought a company like Netflix would have been, very, you know, against sharing, but I guess they're okay with that. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they, you know, we've, we've, uh, yeah, we, again, we have, if you go on our website, you'll see, I mean, Hewlett Packard and others, they're on our website where they, uh, they're okay that we share the information, but not everybody's okay with it. And we yeah. got it. It's okay. Yeah. Understandable. Um, all right. So as a company that's making $400 million a year, you guys are working with some of the larger companies in the world. Um, I can't, I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine what channels you guys would be using. Probably a lot of events, 
community or poly sales enablement. Um, but uh, maybe like, can you can you tell us like how much money do you, do you guys spend on marketing per month or per year, and like where which channels you spend them in? Well, we yeah we we can. Here's what I can say on that. So we let, let's talk. You know, channels for us. You know, there's a lot of things that are changing. Um, you yeah. know, in 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 our space, there's this idea that you have to be out in in the event space. And we're really kind of moving away from that and pretty aggressively because they, they tend to be places where you meet a lot of people and you generate a lot of leads, but that doesn't really, they don't really translate into real opportunities. So we're, we're actually pulling back from that type of thing. Uh, and what, what we are doing in a physical sense is our own user conference where we control the message and curate the content and everything. And that's very, very successful. Uh, and I think a lot of companies do that, but we also, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan. We see much bigger returns on the much more smaller regional um, types of, of round tables and, and smaller events where there can be some intimacy and um, connection versus a large place where you pay a bunch of money to sponsor a booth. And it, it tends to be very transactional and very high level and very loose. So we're, we're moving to where we can yeah. be more one-on-one -on, -one on the event side and, and do more of them, but much smaller in scale. But the rest of it really is, you know, pretty traditional digital channels. Um, you know, we're in a space where it, it's important to differentiate. So you can differentiate a bit by channel, obviously by message matters too. Um, and, you know, trying to create good digital experiences for prospects um, is, is really kind of the ground game we're playing. And we're actually about to release here in the next few weeks, a really cool, really new journey-based experience that when, when a prospect comes to our site, really? instead of it being a traditional sort of, you know, <laughs> click and here's another article about this topic and, you know, the, and, and you'll have the ability to have a more traditional navigational experience. We're also creating much more of a journey-based experience where, um, it, it really will be an experience. It won't be just a bunch of data that comes to you sequentially. Um, and it's an interactive experience and it's one that can be defined by the prospect based on what they do. And we're actually very excited. We think it's a, a, a really a interesting step up of how you engage. Look, most of our buyers today and in so many of these businesses, they're self-serve. They don't want to talk to people. They want Man. to have a self-serve journey. And so we, we, it, it, it's easy to create blogs and white papers and eBooks. Okay. Those things are fine. I'm not picking on them. They have their place. They matter. And in certain parts of a journey, they may want some more detail. They certainly may want technical information. All that is great, but you still have to, there has to be a level of engagement and we have to enable them to get what they want without frustration, without difficult navigation and without having to talk to somebody on the phone all the way up to downloading and trying your product simply and free, right? Everything up until that point, we're really focusing on creating experientially. How do I enable that in a digital channel that will allow the persona to really make the decisions they want to make to learn what they want to learn and have it be interactive, have it be engaged. We're working on that aggressively and we're going to launch that here the next month that we're, we're very excited about. So um, that's, that's for Are us. Guys, it's a big, it's a about that. Are you guys going to be incorporating AI? Because AI seems to be a huge buzzword right now. Is there any good 
anything related to that with the user journey? And do you think there's a use case for that? And well, interestingly, we're using AI and machine learning in a lot of ways because we're doing a we're, we're pretty big believers in you know ABM ABX, um, and we're and we're we're really doing it. I think in the way it was meant to be, and we're a perfect candidate for that, right? We're not uh, a, we're not you know we we can target. We, we know who we can go win. We can target them really well. We use AI and ML in a lot of our targeting uh, yeah. exercise. We've got some pretty rich algorithms we use to help us understand all the different exograph, all the different types of data that enable us to do a really good job of profiling our ideal customer profile and creating that target list. And then, of course, we, we, we deploy some pretty specific and personalized marketing against that target. And, uh, and then yeah. of course with we're bringing them into our digital experience and enabling them to learn more and, and, and self-serve the way that we know they want to. So that's kind of where we're yeah. at and we use it, but we don't use it yet in this digital experience I described. It's a little bit more of a traditional development experience. Other areas. Yeah. yeah. But we use it in a lot of our AVM for sure. It's a big, big part of what we do. Oh, I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm assuming ABM is probably a huge percentage of what you guys do because when you're working with the top 50 companies, fortune, for, fortune 50, for, fortune 100 companies, you're probably not get, getting in front of them through digital ads, like traditional, you know, Google ads or social media ads, yeah. right? That's probably not where you're probably opening doors in other ways, right? Like you sure. said, round, round tables and more private events, like, you know, the, t the, the top CXOs events types of, like that. Um, so I would love to dive into the ABM a little bit, but first, uh, maybe just so we can understand who exactly are your ICPs? Who are you trying to target? And I assume you have maybe different personas as well, targeting different people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Our business, if, if, if we're selling into a, a company and they're trying to secure their workforce, that's a pretty straightforward motion for us, right? Because it's typically a CISO or it's an IT practitioner, maybe a security architect. It's that type of persona that both drives the, the project as well as makes the decision. So targeting yeah. there and creating content to engage that audience is, is, a, is a fairly well understood kind of motion. But when you're yeah. dealing with the customer side of things, where you have a business that's trying to protect its customers, the consumer, where yeah. uh, the people that make that decision are very different company to company. In some companies, it might be the CMO. In some companies, it might be the head of Whoa. a business unit. In some companies, it might be the CIO. In other companies, it can be um, the chief digital uh, officer or the digital team. In some companies, um, it's the CEO because it touches the customer. So right. our need to, yeah, our need to connect with a broader, much different audience for this, what we call, we call it SIAM or customer identity and access management. That part of our business, which is the bigger, it's actually growing. It's a big green field of opportunity for us. Is yeah. um, it's a it's a unique challenge for us. So getting the personas right, getting the content and the experience right, uh, it, it all starts with your question, which is who do we go after? And we have out of a sea of let's call it one hundred and fifty thousand enterprises that would be potential customer targets of ours. We narrow it down to about somewhere under 10,000, which is our target audience that we're going after. It doesn't mean we don't get 
opportunities outside of that because we do. I mean, we have we do SEO, right? We have a we have a web presence. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. There's always there's always people coming into the ecosystem that we're not necessarily targeting. Right. That's all good. But we're what we're doing real outbound, real targeted, personalized outbound to is a target audience of of between nine and ten thousand that we've defined by company, by region, by territory. Now we've gone through that whole process, and it's and that's where the AI has come in and really helped us. Yeah. Okay. So you've been at Ping Identity for four years. Things have probably changed a little bit, but just real quick, quick question from CMO standpoint. You've already hit 50 out of the top 100 Fortune 100 companies. So you've got 50% market share there. What is the next target? Are you targeting the the 2000s, Fortune 5000s? Are you targeting smaller companies? Is there a, is there a certain company size or revenue size that you're, that you're the sweet spot that you're targeting now or? You're still going after yeah. everything. No, no, it's a great question. And this is where I think when you think about really deploying ABM as a strategy is where you've got to get really clear. Before right. we went hard into ABM, our mm -hmm. strategy was um, we had a very simple um, ICP metric. It was like way too simple, but it was <sighs> it was a thousand employees and a hundred million in revenue and above, which was a massive audience, right? But we deployed some go-to-market tactics that were much more one-to-many. And what's interesting is it's it's not that that doesn't work. It works, and it worked for us. We grew the business throughout the process, but it's not terribly efficient. Um, and so we got a lot. When we when we said, you know, we want to go, we don't want to just dance around ABM. We want to really embrace it because we're a perfect candidate for our business, who we go after, all that. So. We are deploying up I, I, what I would call a, a, a pretty tier one version of ABM and, and a, an aggressive model here. Um, we, so we've done a lot of work analytically to determine what, are, what is the right profile of, our, of a target. And it's more than just a simplistic metric of number of employees and a number of revenues. So that's where we, we have about 1,200 attributes that we've analyzed, believe it or not. Mm. Out of that, about, wow. it's about... Well, yeah, there's about 15 that really have high correlations to um, the likelihood to deploy a product like ours in the time. What are some examples? Working. Give us some examples uh, of that, like attributes. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, employee size, uh, employee number does actually factor into this uh, as Not one it. of the big correlatable metrics. And I, sorry, I don't have the list in front of me. I should, but there, there was about 15. Some, some of them are exographic. Some of them are demographic. Some of them are are a little surprising. Um, I wouldn't have thought this one was highly correlatable and I would have thought perhaps something else was, but the data is the data and the analysis is the analysis and you go with it. But it, we, we, we analyzed all these factors, found the most correlatable. And then as we run our models, looking across the broad swath of enterprises out there, that's where we come up with our target list that gives us a number of companies that have the highest likelihood of potentially closing the deal with us. And that's where we're really, that's where we're really targeting. And then, and then from there, we start there, right? And then that's where we start to layer in the other capabilities around um, not only what we do, which is verticalized, one to, one to few, one to one in some cases, marketing, but also we start to layer in our intent signals and really understanding across that, that network, who's engaged and who isn't, what's happening. Uh, and, we, and we leverage those signals to help us deploy very tailored regional plays. So we've, we've now created a model where we can deploy a marketing tactic at the regional level targeted against these accounts 
uh, and we can report on the progress. We can measure the intent. We can see what's happening. We orchestrate this between our outbound, our, our, our marketing action, our SDRs and our field sales team. So we have a very tight coordination across those three to help us know exactly how we're going after what we're doing, who's doing what the right hand always knows what the left hand's doing now, which wasn't always the case before, uh, which is a challenge. Yeah. I think a lot of marketers have, but anyway, that's kind of a, a, a broad summary of how we've deployed our ABM structure uh, here at Ping. Yeah. We're actually in the middle yeah. of deploying it right now. And just for our intermediate uh, slash junior marketers that are listening, um, one of the reasons why we're uh, Kevin and I are diving into talking about ICPs and what a target is typically, unless you have a really big budget, which it looks like you guys have raised a bunch of money. So you guys could expand and target such a large audience. Typically companies don't want to target the entire adjustable market because you want to focus on one segment of the market first and then expand out as you, as, as you get more wins and you get more, you know, testimonials and you learn, you get some more data, then you want to target. You don't want to, you don't want to eat the entire watermelon. You want to do one tiny bite-sized grape at a time until you get to like a grapefruit and then you kind of graduate from there. But, uh, just an analogy there. Um, so when it comes to your team, then it, it sounds to me like your team is mostly it's largely ABM driven and then marketing is kind of like a support function. Is that how it works or is, is, is it pretty well, like do you work very closely to with each other? No, we work very closely with each other. I mean, we have a, we have our marketing structure is, 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 is nothing uh, unusual. We have a demand gen team, which is driving a lot of this ABM uh, implementation and strategy and execution, working very closely with the regional field teams. And what we've done is we've kind of created a quasi, I think the one thing that's a little bit unique perhaps is instead of having a traditional field marketing team, we have our demand gen team and we've kind of merged that with the field marketing um, role, if you will. Because, so we've, we're, we're driving these, these ABM motions in place at the regional level rather than at a corporate level. Uh, so command gen people are, are, are almost essentially field markers as well. Um, they don't necessarily uh, are, are responsible to execute a local event, but they're typically involved in the strategizing of what tactics we should be deploying and how to execute a play at the regional level, working with the field and SDR teams. And, and, uh, and so it's kind of a bit of a, that's the one area is a little bit of a hybrid where you've got some field marketing capacity yeah. as well as demand capacity, all, all really combined together. They, they have specific targets, you know, we tie them closely to revenue generation. Um, but then the rest of it, you know, I've got a product marketing team that manages messaging strategy and I've got a channel marketing team that works closely with these regional demand gen teams. I've got, you know, comms and I've got a creative team. Um, and so, and then again, I think, but what we do, what, what ABM enables us to do better than we used to for sure is the synergy between sales marketing and SCR. It's very, very oh, yeah. tight now. Very tight. And, and I actually really love that because we're now, we're now really, we're really singing off the same song sheet. And in the past, that wasn't always the case, right? If, if you go back when I first started, we were, we, we, we were a marketing engine that, you know, back to analogies, I'll give you an analogy. We basically would cast the net into the ocean and pull up a bunch of fish, right? And, and then we'd sort through the fish. Sort the fish. The fish yeah. And ABM is really spearfishing, right? I'm not throwing a net anymore, right? I'm being very specific. I want that fish. I don't care about that fish. So I'm not even going to throw the net. 
I'm just going to go spear that fish. And, and that's, that's the real difference. And, um, it changes the way you go to market tactically. Again, I'm not saying the old model didn't work. It actually worked, but for us, we think this is a much more efficient way to drive revenue. Uh, because again, we're using tools, we're using data, we're using analytics in ways we never have before to learn what are the right fish. And then we deployed very personalized tactics to go after those specific fish. Um, and that's, again, that's how you drive your efficiency up. You drive your customer acquisition costs down, which is something, you know, boards look at very closely. And certainly our board looks very hard at that. So uh, it's important here. What is your cost of acquisition, uh, like CPA or CAC? Like um, an hour on average? Yeah, we, we're, we're, we're under a couple of bucks, which is good. You know, we need to get it down to a buck and a half. I think is going to be kind of world-class, but that's because we're, these are, these are, um, you know, these are customers that have multi-year deals. That's where you drive your ROI, right? So CAC measured Wait, on a one-year basis. Your CAC and do you, do you include the costs of the, of, of the salaries of, of all, of all your team when you include that or? All sales, all marketing, all customer acquisition costs, hundred percent. And is a dollar fifty cost of acquisition? It's, no, it, it, it's about two right now. We got to get it down to about a buck fifty. Which is good. That we is get incredible. It down there, but that's just good. a lead, right? That's just to, that's the that's how much it costs to acquire a lead or or no, no, an actual customer. Right. That means today we're spending, we'd be spending $2 of sales and marketing expense to acquire $1 of revenue on annual. Oh, revenue, right? okay. I see, annual I see. And, and it's still, uh, but remember that's just measuring one year, given that we have multi-year contracts. That's why, that's why there's ROI even at $2. We want to get down to about a buck and a half. That's going to be really, that'll be really good. Okay. And what's like a, what's an average LTV of a customer that you said that, Usually customers sign multi-year deals. What is, yeah, what, what's no. their LTV or your ACV, whatever you I look mean, at? ACV is, you know, it's, uh, you know, low six figures, low to mid right. six figures would be, it would be an ACV average. Um, and, uh, and then multi-year. So we have a lot of customers that yeah. have, you know, well, well into the seven figures, high seven figures of LTV at this point. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. So like in terms of ABM, a lot, a lot of organizations, uh, do it really well and they're just absolutely just crushing it with ABM. And then there's other organizations that just can't seem to get the ABM function yeah. because maybe the sales, the sales team, like what you said earlier, maybe sales and marketing, they're kind of butting heads and they're not, you know, on the same, walking the same path together and working together well. What do you think has been your biggest secret to success um, for, for ABM? And like, like if you were to give advice to any CMOs that are listening today or senior marketers today, like how do you make ABM work for your organization? Yeah, and I, I think it's a great question because you know, ABM's not for everybody and it's not supposed to be for everybody and that's okay. And just because you do it or don't do it doesn't mean you're good or not good marketer. I mean, every, every marketer, every CMO has to help figure out the nature of their business, the market that they're in, the competition that's happening, the, the growth for rate, sure. all the things that matter determine what is the right way for me to help grow this business, right? Which is ultimately why we exist anyway. And for English. us, it was, it was like when, when I first got here, we started to do some 
ABM experiments and, and, and we learned a lot, but we didn't go whole hog into it um, <laughs> because we weren't quite ready. It takes really three things. It takes the right people. It takes the right process and it takes the right tools. And by people, I mean that, that also includes alignment. I mean, you got to have your, your go to market engine broadly has to rally around this idea or it's going to be a waste of money and energy. Um, and, and so a lot of things happen that, you know, we don't have time to dive into, but a lot of things that happened just around our, our marketplace and right. around the things we were doing and what we needed to do that just got us to this point where like, this is the way we're going to have to drive a, a more efficient, better ROI. And, uh, and, and the, so we had the, we, we got the right people on board that had a, the right experience and understanding of this. We worked on developing the right process, which was really around integrating our sales and marketing, the entire go-to-market engine around this strategy, around this approach, and then the deployment of the right tools to help us because in this case, the tools really matter. So it, all the stars kind of aligned for us to enable that to happen. And again, it's not for everybody and it doesn't have to be for everybody. And it's okay if you use it or don't use it. Uh, but if you're going to use ABM, if it's the right strategy for you, that's where you got to focus. You got to have the right people. You got to make sure the process is right. And you got to make sure that you've got the right tools to enable you to run it at scale. Because ABM at scale yeah. is a different world than ABM as an experiment. And we did some really good experiments and, and got some really good results, but they weren't very efficient because we, mm -hmm. we, we didn't have the way to turn it on at scale. And now with all yeah. three of those things, in we can turn it on at scale, which is what we're, you, have what we're to, right. you have to You have to make the process repeatable, right? So that you can exactly. go to another city, another state, or even yep. a small, tiny region and be able to repeat it and then be able to do it across... 15 different cities at one time. That's that scale. Um, what, what tools do you guys use? Um, curious what, what tools do you guys use in terms of ABM? I'm assuming it's a lot of emailing, maybe a LinkedIn sales navigator, but sure, we use all the other that. tools that you're using. Yeah. The Salesforce and Marketo and so, you know, LinkedIn navigator for sure. We're, we're deploying yeah. six sets, kind of our core ABM tool here pretty, pretty quick, which uh, we're pretty happy with. Um, you know, we use some AI tools from DNB to help us with our targeting, you know, so it's, it's a suite of capabilities across a number of different right. tools. Um, but they all, they all matter. You got to leverage them. Right. Yeah. And, um, and do you guys, uh, is there, if you were yeah. to say, you know, ABM, there's a lot of different ways to reach, uh, especially you, you guys are reaching like the C level. They're difficult to reach. Right. There's yeah. a lot of different ways you can reach them. Um, yep. you know, email, phone call, in person, yep. all that stuff. I, I know you need a mixture of all, but is there, you know, in, in our time right now, as we're recording this May, 2023, is there a, if you had to choose one out of those different channels to reach the C-suite, what's the, what's the best and most efficient way to reach the C-suite? Um, so the answer to that one is it's, it's not one we all control. The, the best way to do it is via word of mouth, right? That's, that's the best way to do yeah, it. So that's the best way. Yeah. Not having, having a good reputation in the market, uh, serving your customers really well, and then have other people say, you know what, these guys, these guys are good. They know what they're doing. They service and support you really well. Uh, we, we really strive to do as much of that as we can now to, to, to open the door. Uh, again, it kind of, it does kind of depend because, um, uh, the, you know, the CFOs and cause CFOs now are very, very involved in these decisions. They oh. used to not be so, involved, oh, they are. but very, involved. 
you know, so they speak the language of value. They speak the language of returns. You know, the business leaders speak the language of customer experience and they're looking for loyalty. They're looking for repeat business. They're looking for, you know, really better customer experience. So a lot of it is, okay, first off, are you, do you have the right messaging and the right content to engage them for what we know they care about? Uh, and then reaching them is, you know, uh, there's no secret formula. There's no one door in because they're all so different. So we've had success and failure across all of the different tactics that we've already talked about. Direct mail works in some cases. It still does. Uh, I can't believe it in the, in the era of 2023, but direct mail still does work, but it doesn't work for everybody, but it does work yeah. in some cases. Um, it does work, but we'll, most of what we do is digital. So we'll engage people through, um, you know, through LinkedIn and through other digital channels that does yeah. uh, do actually produce results. Um, and then we try to get them into these smaller engaged experiences that we can curate for that, which we, we find to be well, very successful. Well, well yeah. you and I, you and I connected via email, right? So, right. um, there you go. So and there's an, there's an analogy that I like to make, like you said, there's so many different ways. There's so many different ways you can open up the door, right? You can open up the door through to, to, to Kevin via email or phone call or, you know, literally knocking on your door. There's little different ways. But once the door opens, what's behind the door? What's your brand? What are you standing for? C-suite is smart enough that they're, they're going to do research on you. They're going to, they can find your LinkedIn profile in the click of, of a, in a snap of a finger. So what's behind the door once you actually reach out? Do you have something valuable to say? Do you have a good brand? Do you have a good reputation? That matters a lot more than the channel. So I love, I love what you, I love what you just uh, said. Yeah. Totally. Um, totally. Yeah. So we're coming up on time. Uh, I wish we had another hour to just dive into IBM, uh, to ABM and, and your, and your past background and, and everything. But, uh, maybe we'll just like ask a couple of, uh, personal questions before, before we, you know, before we jump out, um, from your side as a CMO, you, you've been in marketing for a long time. Um, are there things that you are still working on today that you feel like you're not really strong at? And what are they and what are you doing right now to try to improve? Yeah, that's a that's a that's an important question, actually. Um the the thing about marketing that is so interesting is it's such a dynamic field. It never changes. I mean, we are, if you think about what we do and break it down into its core essence, we are essentially applied psychologists, right? We're trying yeah. to <laughs> We're trying to rent a little bit of space in the mind of a target, a persona, a target audience, right? That we're going after. And that's really, really hard to do. And in the world we live in, the channels, the messages, the priorities, they're constantly changing and evolving. And, you know, and then there's externalities like a COVID, for example, a pandemic that just changes the behavior of, of businesses, of people. I mean, all these things get mixed into. So if we, the minute it's almost like I've learned with investing. The minute you think you you got it nailed is when you get crushed. It's the same thing with marketing. Yeah. The minute you think yeah. like I nailed, I got this. I like it. it is the minute you're you're probably um, you know not you're, you're not there. So for me, um, you know, I grew up in a world. I spent a lot of time. You mentioned earlier. I spent a lot of time. I ran advertising at, at Intel for a long time, and 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 it felt like I got really good at storytelling. And and then I mm -hmm. I noticed that. That was an important skill at my next job. But then as I've gotten here, 
it's it, storytelling never goes away. It's never going to be bad, no. but it's changing, right. right? It's it's like how you tell your story. And, and for us now, it's less about being um, an emotional engager. It's more about value delivery, right? How do we, because the decisions people are making when I was trying to get people to buy a personal computer is very different than people that are trying to buy or we're trying to get them to purchase our software, which is mission critical. This is not, you know, this isn't a superfluous add-on. This is, if the stuff we sell doesn't work, they lose their job, right? Because this is foundational to secure an identity, to secure the data of that identity, and to enable a good experience is the foundation of a digital business today. So we, we recognize we're in the mission-critical world. So delivering value. So as I think about it, it's like I've had to evolve my storytelling and my understanding of storytelling dramatically. And if I hadn't done that and tried to try to use an old formula for a new business problem, I, I, I'd have, I'd have been, you know, shown the door a long time ago. Um, so that's just one example, but, and then how, how demand gen operates at this level versus how it operates at large levels and vice versa. It's totally different. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, across the board, I'm learning. I mean, I'm learning stuff every day about, and, and now it's the introduction. It's not even so much introduction, but it's kind of the mass usage of AI. Like how AI, do you yeah. leverage this? Because if you don't, somebody else is going to do it better than you and you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to get stung. So for me, I'm spending a lot of time on understanding what does this mean from a content creation perspective? What does it mean for targeting? What does it mean for measuring what's happening with our buyer and the buyer journey and optimizing. I mean, we're trying to deploy it at, in ways that enable a rich user experience, much more efficient content enablement and development, you know, all those things. And that's all brand new, right? So it, it's it's a never ending sea of newness. And if you just don't embrace that, then, you know, you're, you're not gonna be around very long. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Uh, what, what was your background? Um, Growing up, like, uh, did, did, were your parents very entrepreneurial? Were they, did they have a marketing mindset and you learned a lot from your parents? Like, how did no, you gain no. all the skill sets you've, you've gained? It's interesting. My dad was an engineer. Uh, okay. Yeah. And very smart, very analytical guy. My, my, uh, my mom also very smart and analytical. She, she stayed home. She didn't work in the workforce, but, Lean. um, but she was very analytical, very smart. And I have like my older, my oldest brother is just like a genius, like super smart. He's a doctor, you know, it's just like, you know, oh stuff I, don't okay. I actually went and got an MBA and I started down the finance path. I thought I wanted to go into sort of finance and I did, I started my career at Intel in finance. And then I realized pretty quickly that I was a square peg in a round hole and <laughs> that I just was so attracted to the idea of storytelling. Like I love to tell stories. Story, yeah. I, I love, I love to connect with people. And I love the whole notion of communication. So I put in motion some things that worked to kind of get me into the marketing side of the house. And then it just took off for me. My career just went, went crazy. And, uh, you know, I ran brand strategy for Intel. I ran their global advertising capability. Uh, you mentioned earlier, I even took a side job. They asked me to take my marketing experience and my finance knowledge and bring it together. Yeah. And I ran investor relations, which is essentially a marketing job, but it's to the financial services community. Right. So, um, and then, you know, and then I turned that into a CMO gig at the next company and then another CMO gig here. And it's just, it's been, um, it's been awesome. I ran, I did product marketing in, 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 uh, in Japan. I did, um, so I've done basically all the disciplines within marketing at some point in my career. And, um, 
just brought it all together now as a CMO and it's just been, it's been awesome. Love it. Yeah. Have you ever spoken at a TEDx conference or TED conference? Haven't spoken at TED, but I've spoken at a lot of marketing conferences on a lot of different topics. So enjoy that a lot. Yeah, no, you definitely have a, you have a very unique ability for storytelling. Um, I, I might in the future do something where I'll bring all the guests from marketing on Mars together. We have about 62 guests so far. I think you would, you would do a, a, like, I, I don't know. I'll reach out to you when that happens, but, uh, that might be Let's really cool to bring all, all the CMOs and all the CEOs and founders together in a room somewhere. Um, I'm still thinking about, it. I've talked to a few people about it, but, uh, um, this is my first time talking well, about on the podcast. You should, uh, you should talk to Bezos and see if we can't get out one of those rockets and we'll go to Mars together. So we'll go to Mars. We'll go to Mars together. All right. Well, before we jump out, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kevin. We'll have to do this for round two. Let's do one last shot of, uh, man, my listen. stomach is just yelling at me already, but all right, we got to do what we got to do, man. Got to be a good sport. <laughs> got to be a good sport. We got to do it for the Suns. The plane Man, this one's got me nervous. This one's got me nervous now because I know I know exactly what I'm getting. <laughs> All, right. All right, cheers, okay. Simon. Here we go. We're down. Here's cheers. One, Let's two, three. Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, this one is interesting. It's got a heavy ginger too. So I get the, the hot pepper, but then there's a big ginger like leftover that just hangs in that mouth. Woo. I wish I had ginger. This is just straight Carolina. Yeah. yeah. You're crazy, man. I, I don't think I could have done the Carolina Reapers. That stuff's crazy stuff. I, I, this is hot enough, but uh, you, you're, you beat me. Woo. Yeah, this is bad. Great having you on the show. Enjoy, enjoy the game. We'll definitely have to do round two. Um, All right. Let's uh, All right. let's let's we'll have to chat more. See if we can do something about the about the conference thing. That might be a that might be a cool thing to get you to speak on. That'd be awesome. All right. Good. Good All to right. see you, Simon. Talk soon, buddy. Take care, man. Take care. Well, guys, that's it for another spicy episode of Marketing on Mars. I'm really not sure who got burned more, my taste buds or the guest taste buds. My mouth is on fire. Real talk, though. If you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Each episode I make is basically an unedited raw dinner with some of the leading marketing voices. They tell us the truth or they take a shot of hot sauce. We're on almost every single platform. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and more. There's really no excuse. Until next time, Martians, keep it hot and keep it real.